0: You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. So do you want to hear a funny story? Yes. Okay. It's funny in retrospect. Okay. As I was experiencing it, definitely not funny. But, you know, we take what we can get and we can get it. So I, my boyfriend, Matt, works downtown. Mm-hmm. And once a week, I will pick him up as like a treat. Instead of him having to, like, take the train, which, you know, we live, like, 40 minutes from downtown by a train. And then you have to walk to the apartment, et cetera. So once a week, I'll drive down and pick him up. Because I'm, like, a nice girlfriend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Anyway. So last night was the big Mexican Independence Parade
1: mm-hmm.
0: downtown. and Matt. <laughs> you were tried- driving in the parade. <laughs> well, Matt tried to tell me that the parade was happening. I misunderstood his text message and so I went downtown and it was bonkers to say the very very least it was truly insane Um, I got stuck on the LaSalle Street bridge for ages people were lighting like smoke bombs and fireworks in the intersection of LaSalle and Wacker and I was like okay this is what's happening uh, finally, I get through, pick Matt up, and we're like, okay, let's take one of these South Streets. We'll get to Lakeshore Drive. We'll bop home in like 15 minutes. Well, we get stuck again on Monroe, and it's like people hanging out of cars, fireworks, horns, dancing. People like the car, it's like standstill traffic, people getting out of the cars, dancing in the streets. You know, like you're basically I'm very, in the parade now. I was basically in the parade and like. I feel very happy for these people. And I wish that I had something that I gave a shit about as much as these people care about this day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, it was almost, it was creeping up on 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like sitting in Monroe. I'm like, we're never getting out of here. Like it's standstill traffic. Fast forward, we finally get to Jackson and Jackson takes you right to Lakeshore Drive. Get to Lakeshore Drive. The police officer walks up and says, you have to turn around. We're not letting anybody go on like North Lakeshore Drive. And I was like, Are you kidding? It took us ages. I, Did you take side streets all the ages. way? Ages. What we ended up having to do is without giving we had to go. address. Yes, we had to go back down Jackson and go to 94 East, but it was standstill traffic. People, every intersection was fireworks and dancing and cars and blaring horns and music. And like, it looked like a lot of fun like everyone was having a lot of fun except me, Matt and the dog that was in the back seat. Um and we finally got to 94 and it was like a breeze home, but it was just like if we had known that we had to take 94, we would have taken that from the beginning. Anyway, happy Mexican Independence Day. I'm happy for you all. Beautiful parade, loved the fireworks. If you're interested in fireworks, I did that what last week. It's a topic. Yeah. <laughs> Now you.: so, know. so like I said, funny story in retrospect. I guess was there was no part of that where anybody laughed, except, I guess, just funny, interesting, not funny,
1: haha. You know what I'm saying? I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you've got to be careful. You can't get caught in something like that. You can't, and because you have no idea yeah. how long you might be stuck there. Truly, truly. And um, Matt tried to warn me. I
0: misread his text message entirely, <laughs> and um, there, here we are.
1: I'm trying are. to wonder how this text message just couldn't have been clear. It was like, "There's a huge parade going on downtown. <laughs> Don't drive down here." <laughs> uh, well, there's there's a a typo. Oh, but like it get wasn't you. it wasn't a typo that
0: should have changed the meaning of the text message, and it really didn't. But I got hung up on the typo, and I was like, "I tried to." I he said he misspelled whacker, Okay, and so then I got caught up. I'm like, "What are you trying to say? What is that word?" And I got him to say whacker, and because I didn't read. I only got caught up on the whacker typo. I didn't fully read the text message. Do you know Classic what I'm saying? Classic cheese. Classic. You know, I, I care about a typo. I am really bad at spelling, but I, I guess I care about typos. So
1: <laughs> that's As my fun should. story. Um, that is very fun. Nothing that fun happened to me today I or yesterday. I Sorry. Have to, I'm upset because I'm eating tortilla chips and I feel like our listeners don't want to listen to me. Chomp on tortilla chip chips um, during the recording, which is fair. They'd be wrong. Okay. So people aren't into that. Hmm. Um, but if you are tuning in, <laughs> tortilla-free listening, this is Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm Grace Topinka. I'm Chelsea Rowan. And we're your favorite weekly podward crosscast.
0: <gasps> welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I could eat a tortilla chip right now, actually. Yeah, to they almost... make you really
1: thirsty. So then I've been drinking, you know, you can't like... I have to pause my drinking and eating for the day. I'm a grazer. I like to be doing that all day, every day. For the recording, I can't. It's very upsetting.
0: It is what it is. It Shall is we? It get- is what it is. Uh,
1: yes. Shall we yes. get into our Polapalooza? palooza? <laughs> Let's do the Polapalooza. palooza. Okay. Um, remember to follow us on Twitter at the good eve girls. We asked, do you use hostels when you travel? Options Ooh. were yes all the time, sometimes, but not usually, and then never. And no one voted for yes all the time. I didn't vote in this. Mm. The winning choice with 67% was never. And then 33% said sometimes but not usually. And someone commented saying, I'm too old to use hostels, but I did stay in some when I was younger. And I'd like Mm. to say that you aren't too old to stay in hostels. I have seen people of all ages in hostels. I'll say that if you feel comfortable sharing a room with youngsters you can always get a private room still cheaper than a hotel Mm -hmm. and like you said last time um like read about the
0: hostel before you book it because you can get like a you know there's hostels that have like 18 person rooms 20 person Mm -hmm. rooms there's hostels that have four people rooms six people rooms and like if you if you're at like a mellow hostel with a four-person room it doesn't matter what age you are you know what i mean like yeah everyone's going to sleep and going to museums exactly (laughs) exactly and it's cheaper who doesn't like saving money i do
1: i so do we love saving money on this podcast um <laughs> of saving money should we get into our hits and shits yes i love
0: that for us <clears throat> um let me see let me see i guess i'll start with some with a puzzle that i liked okay uh not to make you think that there was a puzzle i didn't like this week mm but now I'm suspicious. She's suspicious for no reason. Uh, maybe just because I worded that in a strange way. Anyway, let's just do it, okay? This puzzle mm-hmm. I liked, Friday, September 10th, New York Times, by Adrian Cabingting. Cabingting? Kabingting? I'm so sorry. Um, the opener, one across, hack job. And the answer was data breach. We love a good data breach.
1: <laughs>
0: That's smart. <laughs> it was good, though. Uh, 15 across, news alert of old, extra, extra. Extra, extra. Grace, we actually, like, if we were, you know, newsboys in, like, mm-hmm. the late 1800s, like, standing on, like, milk crates, like, screaming extra, extra, like, imagine, like, we could be newsies, you know? Be fun. That's,
1: um. I have the skills for that job.
0: Yes. Grace and I are always on the lookout for a job where we could work together as a pair.
1: And, and just have lots.
0: Yes. We personally would have lots of fun. Cannot confirm whether everybody else would have fun, but we would have fun. That's the point. Um, This one tripped me up, and I think this clue was used, like, twice this week in a puzzle. I saw a lot of repeat clues and answers this week, and again, I don't... We talked about this before. People say it's not, like, planned. I...
1: don't fucking believe you i feel like they're gaslighting us they're gaslighting us they You're... want us to think to not trust ourselves to be like didn't they just do an alan alda clue last yesterday
0: exactly <clears throat> so here it is this tripped me up 26 across naval type and the Innie. answer was Audi. i think there was one it was naval type but it was like any in mm-hmm. a different puzzle or something like that um and i believe The way you would know what naval they're talking about is, I believe naval on the sea, and don't quote me on this, like, I'm probably going to embarrass myself and have to do a corrections corner next week. Like, the naval people that go on boats, I think that's spelled N-A-V-A-L, whereas naval, like, belly button is N-A-V-E-L. I think that's right. But I didn't notice that, and I got tripped up, and I was thinking about the army, I was thinking about the navy. They want to
1: trip you up, Chelsea, that's the point of that clue. I know, I'm sorry. You know this.
0: And then, of course, I, I have to talk about this one. 49 across, nickname for Chicago's Cloud Gate sculpture. The bean. I just love seeing the bean in big block letters across the New York Times crossword. It's Lots of fun. Most people don't know that it's Cloud Gate, like yes. Chicagoans. Yes. It looks like a big fava bean, lima bean. No, more Jally like bean. A f- kidney bean oh yeah bean. it's a kidney bean because it has a curve to it there's a curve it's not like a yeah a lima bean anyway come to chicago and see the
1: bean i always feel like the artist is like i named this cloud gate and i put my <laughs> soul into it and everyone's like let's look at the bean because it right, looks like exactly. a exactly <laughs> exactly what do you got for me well i learned from the monday september 13th puzzle by a Tariq. oops um 33 across, state whose flag, with eight gold stars in the shape of the Big Dipper, was designed by a 13-year-old. And it's my favorite state, Alaska. Yes, I but was going to bring that up, too. Did I go over this in my flag episode? I don't You think did I not. Didn't.
0: You yeah. did not. It was brand new information for both of us. And if you're interested in learning about flags, or vexillology, as it's called, people who study flags or have a passion for flags, you can listen to episode 27, Legalize Ipacapuana. Yes which is Um, one of the best titles grace has ever come up with for episodes (laughs) so good job on that one it's my
1: fave normally i don't like to put the topic in the title because i like to confuse people as well as all (laughs) our descriptions so sorry if you're ever looking for anything specific (laughs) i realize that that is incredibly annoying but it was it's annoying when i have to go back because we keep a master
0: list of all of the topics we do and like I don't update it all the time, but like when I do it in chunks, I'll go back mm-hmm. and I like have to. Re- I totally just blank on what our topics are, and I'll just like, oh, let me just go to the the anchor page or the the podcast page, and let's see. And I'm like reading the titles and like the descriptions. I'm like, I literally have no
1: idea. Well, I feel like the reason why we started doing it like that is because for some reason we make our topic each week a secret from each other to like yes. build suspense. Yes. So I feel like if we put the topic in the description. Then there's no fun. And no, I knows. agree. I agree you know? entirely.
0: There's the suspense is like one of the positives we have going for our podcast. But
1: I also feel like it's annoying. So, hey, maybe at the very bottom of the epi- like I'll put in parentheses what the episode is about. Let's
0: maybe. let's 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 think about let's ruminate. Let's think.
1: If one person tells me they would like that, then I'll do it. <laughs> but if
0: no one, cares, you know where then to find us on Instagram. TikTok, Twitter, Twitter. come find us. Um, Yes, I I liked that one. I was going to bring that up, too. Um, Speaking of learning things, I learned a couple things this week.
1: You did? Uh,
0: Yes. Uh, One from the Sunday, September 12th, New York Times by Alex Rosen. 25 across. Phenomenon such as the tendency to see human forms in inanimate objects. And this is not what's the word? Um,
1: yeah.
0: Anthropomorphizing. Cause that's when you that's give something yeah. uh, like you like give it like human life, elements. like human elements, life, like, you know, Bojack horseman is a good example of that. Um, that's like an intentional act is to do something. This is a phenomenon of seemingly randomly seeing those kinds of patterns in nature. It is called, Peria, Peridolia, Peridolia. Mm -hmm. Spelled P-A-R-E-I-D-O-L-I-A, Peridolia, Peridolia. Uh, And I got this from Wikipedia, but I think it explains it because it's not just about seeing, um, like, for instance, like in a cloud, seeing like a horse. It's not just Mm -hmm. that or seeing like Marilyn Monroe's face on like a piece of bread. It is the tendency... For perception to impose meaningful interpretation on a nebulous stimulus usually visual so that one sees an object pattern or meaning where there is none is this what we are going through when we think that the crosswords are all connected
1: maybe this is At- like when people have angel <laughs> numbers no offense to anyone who believes in that but exactly uh, common examples
0: Perceived images are like animals, faces, or objects in clouds, seeing faces in inanimate objects, or like lunar pareidolia, which is the man on the moon. Um, And then this concept extends to include hidden messages in recorded music played in reverse or at higher or lower than normal speeds, and hearing voices, mainly indistinct, or music in random noise, such as that produced by air conditioners or fans.
1: Interesting. Well, Very interesting. me hidden messages, I'm not getting them.
0: Yeah, no, you gotta try a little harder, okay? You gotta try. Um, also from that puzzle, I really liked this. I just thought it was interesting. 50 across. Music's most maligned genre, per critic Tom Connick. And Tom Connick mm-hmm. apparently is um, a critic at Enemy. So what, what would you guess?
1: Country or rap?
0: I thought both. It's three letters, so I thought rap. It's wrong. It's emo. Oh, really? And I thought, I think what happened here is that they wanted to use emo and they tried to find a factoid about emo. Um, n- no shade to Alec Rosen or the New York Times editorial staff on that one. I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, all of my friends listen to emo music, so I don't run in a circle where people don't like emo. So I find this hard to believe. But maybe but, society <laughs> doesn't like you and your friends. Yeah, that's true. It's okay. I don't like them either. And then uh, also another thing I learned from that puzzle was 81 down. One who consumes a ritual meal to absolve the souls of the dead. And the answer is sin eater, sin eater. I've never heard that before, right? Okay. This is also from Wikipedia. Uh, a sin eater is a person who consumes a ritual meal in order to spiritually take on the sins of the deceased person. The food was believed to absorb the sin of the recently dead person, thus absolving the soul of the person. Sin eaters, as a consequence, carried the sins of all peoples whose sins they had eaten. Uh, Basically, it's a form of ritual. It's most common in Wales or English countries or counties bordering Wales. Um, And it's a very Christian thing. Although there are other cultures that have some sort of ritual around absolving wrong deeds. Mm -hmm. But it's like a Christian thing. Yeah, um, sins. Sins. And then uh, just going to end on that this puzzle. Uh, this is for you, Grace, just for fun. forty nine. Oh, sorry, 99 down, Frank. Wiener. Answer was
1: Wiener. So yes. there you go. <laughs> I'm on that wavelength. <laughs> Thank you very much. Gotta love it. Um, I, did, you, did you do the Tuesday New York Times by Christopher Adams? I did. I liked that one, the theme was 57 Across 2013 Best Musical Tony winner with a hint to this puzzle's theme. It was kinky boots. But then there was a bunch of different cross sections where boots was all jumbled up, kinked, if you will. So, for example, some answers that were crossed with each other were gobstopper and boosters. And then the shaded areas of boost and obsto were shaded. And if you rearranged, then it was boots. There so you go. Kinky boots. And I also learned from that puzzle forty two across bygone M M&M color. Tan. Very strange. I didn't know they had tan M's. I don't I mean, do they replace it with brown? They're like people are more used to eating brown things. Cause you know what they say? Anything that's tan is healthy for you to eat. Is that a lie? <laughs> no, it's from Eric Andre. <laughs> well, it's beige or something. Or grey. I is I I can just tell by
0: the way Grace looks when she says something that's trying to fuck with me. Anyway. Um, no, that was kind of weird to me. I was like, I don't know if I could eat a tan M&M. It's like eating that's leather. That's why it's bygone. <clears throat> true. All all true. What else? What else? Um, I did a bunch of uh, USA Today this week.
1: You did?
0: Yes. Um, But before I get into... Well, I'm just going to talk about one of them. Before I get into that, I want to talk about the Sunday, September 12th New York Times by Sid Sivakumar. Uh, I liked this. I like seeing this. 28 down. What may be corrected on a trans person's birth certificate? Name? Dead name. Oh, nice. To see dead name in a puzzle was awesome. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. we should all, like, understand what that is and the implications of what it means to... Accidentally, or even some people use dead names, like, intentionally, and I just want to kick them in the shins until they bruise badly, um, etc. So, you know, thought that was nice to see that. Uh, And then that's related to what I want to talk about in the Sunday, September 12th USA Today by Jaustin Bernickelle. 15 across, gender blank. And the answer was euphoria, which... I didn't know it was a term, but then I read about it on Urban Dictionary and I was like, it makes sense that this is a term. Gender euphoria is an experience transgender and non-binary individuals feel instead of or along with gender dysphoria. A trans person or a non-binary person may feel gender euphoria by presenting as their gender they identify with and or by using their preferred pronouns. So it's like, that's what it is. Um, and you would love to see it in a crossword.
1: Good um, cluing for euphoria, which is a fun word in general. It is. Yes, it's great cluing for euphoria. Uh, And I think that's all that I have. Well, I liked the Washington Post Sunday. um, When was it? September 12th, Mm. I think, by Evan Bernholz. And it was called Voice Overs. Mm. And the theme was just kind of cute. So basically, in the puzzle, they had different shows Um, And then the clues were all like, let's see. Let me find an example of one. Um, 39 Down animated film with voiceovers by Idina Menzel and Kristen Bell. And the answer is Frozen. And so on the outside of the grid was the character's name that Idina Menzel and Kristen Bell voice. So Elsa and Anna. So, for example, for Elsa, the down clues were uh, like one would be passed by as hours and it was lapsed but E was written outside of the grid, so E lapsed. And then the next one was scalp woe, ice, but L was written outside. Um, nine down, blank of the tongue, lip of the tongue, but it, it was really an S was written outside. And then uh, gives a hand to IDs, but it's really AIDS because is written outside. So like uh, basically above the grid, E-L-S-A, mm. Elsa was written. And so they had oh. Lion King, Simpsons, Family Guy, and Frozen.
0: Ah, Um, and they were all
1: over, uh, and on the side, like every over bottom and to the side. So yeah, voice over. They were all over, but
0: okay, that's so good. Oh my god, he always comes up with amazing clues or themes
1: week after week. Um, there was another cute clue from this one that wasn't related to the theme that I thought was fun. One hundred fourteen across puts out friskies for a friend. Say, and the answer was cat sits. Ooh, that's cute. Oh, and um, 15 across plant life, question mark, and it was spying.
0: Oh, I love when they do that.
1: Yes. So thanks, Evan. <clears throat> it was fun. Oh, I just realized
0: I actually did have one more clue I that I wanted to talk about from the Tuesday, September 14th USA Today by Rebecca Goldstein and Brooke Husic. Um, was 66 across uh, blank, go my own, sorry, quote, blank, go my own way, end quote, Efron Hudgens duet. Mm-hmm. And it's gotta, gotta go my own way. What about us? What, what about, about everything, everything we've, we've been, been through? through?
1: What about trust? You, you know, I it. never
0: wanted to hurt you. Anyway, uh, actually, and I had one more. Sorry, I'm just going to finish this off. Oh, this oh is my, my last gosh, year man. lie. This is from another USA Today one. So I just wanted to let everybody know that I did the USA Todays. Uh, Wednesday, September 15th, USA Today by Sheen Ber- Bernichel. Nine across, the shib blank. Ice dancing duo? And the answer was the SHIB SIBS. So the answer was SIBS. Uh, it was a great way to clue SIBS because uh, that's mm-hmm. crossword ease. Um, and if you are familiar with the SHIB SIBS, they have won six titles uh, at the Grand Prix series. Um, they have a silver medal at the 2009 World Champion uh, Junior Championships. They are two time members of the US Olympic team, competing in 2014 in Sochi and 2018 uh, in South Korea. Uh, in 2018, they both became the first they became the first ice dancers who are both Asian descent to medal at the Olympics, uh, which is great. So, so ice dancers. So they they medaled together as ice dancers, yeah. the first Asians. Anyway, as Sibs, as Sibs, the Shib Sibs. Uh, very cute. They're resting. They're skating. They're not doing it professionally right now, but they're writing a book. So, I love ice skating, and I just thought that I was a you great do. team name. <laughs> if grace i would have been a great proficient if i had been an ice skater also if we had met each other as four-year-olds and learned how to ice skate together
1: i know we could have had a totally different life oh well anyway we can't go back now now we have this podcast and that's the best we can do
0: That's all we can do this is all we can give you okay
1: shall we flip the coin and get into our topics yes i'm gonna all flip right. the coin flip let's see it's been tailed. Wow. But I feel like it's going to be heads this week. I'm feeling good for you this week.
0: Funny you should say that. It's heads. It's tails. So, (laughs) uh, you know.
1: Well, I felt good for you, but maybe good for you that you get to listen to my topic. (laughs) Okay, my topic comes from the Tuesday, September 14th New York Times by Christopher Adams, 37 across, like some fake nails. Press-ons. Yes. Are you doing nail salons? I'm doing manicures, nail art, all that stuff. Oh, yes. I actually feel like I've seen a TikTok about this
0: subject, about how nail art and, like, manicures and stuff became popular in the U.S. Anyway. Well, kind of. I wonder, I wonder, the 5th of November, what Grace is going to be
1: teaching me. Okay, let's do it. I guess you'll find out right now so the art of decorating our nails did it get popular in the u.s i don't know the fact is it's been around for a very very long time people have been decorating their nails dyeing their nails all that stuff so archaeologists have actually discovered egyptian mummies with gilded nails and henna tinted fingertips and around that same time in 5000 bc indian women were staining their nails with henna and ancient Bama- Babylonian men used coal to color their n- nails. So, people were doing all types of stuff. But it wasn't always just for aesthetics, because archaeologists also unearthed a solid gold manicure set in southern Babylonia, dating to 3200 BC, that was apparently part of combat equipment. So, I say we bring this back. Camo acrylic nails, everyone. U.S. Army. We're going to yes. be doing terrible things. <laughs> doing it in Let's style. do it. <laughs> The first nail polish is credited to, of course, our friends in ancient China in 3000 BC. Everything you gotta was it. Everything to be invented there. So women in ancient China would soak their nails in a combination of egg whites, gelatin, beeswax, and dyes from flower petals. And two of the most commonly used flowers were roses and orchids, resulting mm-hmm. in a reddish pink tint. Long colored nails were an indication of wealth and social status. And they also had these, like, nail guards that were just these blinged out golden guards, like, metal thing, tips you would wear, like, around your nails. Those are very Mm. popular. But obviously, like, if you were lower class and doing menial labor, you couldn't have any of this, like, Mm -hmm. nail stuff. So it was a sign of, you know, being rich, basically. Of course. And then red nails, the classic red nail. Red nails specifically have been a sign of social status and power throughout time. So members of the Ming dynasty had crimson nails with lengthy extensions, very long ones. The Egyptian queens Nefertiti and Cleopatra were famed for wearing red nails. Mm. And interestingly, lower-ranking citizens were only allowed to wear pale shades on their nails, which nowadays, that kind of like nude French manicure, that's like associated with sophistication, Mm -hmm. like Mm upper-class waspy type, but before it was like the bright nails. That's what made you, you know, rich yeah the first modern nail shop was opened by an american woman named mary e cobb mary was married to a new england podiatrist and she learned the art of the manicure when traveling in france she redeveloped the process by creating a series of steps which include soaking the fingers carefully trimming the nails and then filing and shaping the nails and she also created an enamel to protect the nail and give it a little color so Mm. she opened her first shop in manhattan in 1878 called mrs Prey's manicure and Prey was her husband's last name but they ended up getting divorced so okay well do with that what you will business boom she had shops all around the country and she also invented the emery board while she was at it thank you So, so yes like the nail modern nail salon was kind of started in the u.s hmm in 1911, Q-Tex came out with a cuticle softener, and in 1925, they came out with the first liquid nail polish. Um, in 1920, makeup artist Michelle Menard set out to create a glossy nail polish that she wanted to mimic the shine, shiny uh, paint on cars. Mm-hmm. She perfected the formula, and she would use it like on flappers and stuff, and it was hugely popular. In 1932, she launched the cosmetic giant known today as Revlon.
0: Ah. that was the start of Revlon
1: and fun fact, Revlon only had nail polish for years, that was all they did and then they eventually did lipstick and now they have like, you know, all types of makeup products and then in 1957 acrylic nails, which some people may not know, listening might not know what acrylic nails are those are basically fake nails that go on top of your nails, they usually make your nails longer Um, if you see really long nails, they're probably Acrylic or press-on, which is like plastic versions of acrylic that you just glue right. onto your nail. Um, some people do have naturally, really long nails, not always acrylic, but right. um it was actually invented by a dentist. This is in 1957. Frederick Slack was a dentist, and he broke his nail at work, and so he used dental acrylic to, like make a nail shape. He used aluminum foil as a mold and created, like the, you know, the curvature of a nail over it which is kind of similar to how they do tips now. Like right. If, you've, if you have seen that. Um, but it looks so realistic to him. He Him and his brother, who's also a dentist, went on to create and patent what is known today as acrylic nails.
0: Wow.
1: It all started in a dentist's office.
0: I just wonder why he worked so hard to, like, fix his nail.
1: I know. I couldn't really understand why he <laughs> cared so much. and And it was like he didn't want anyone to realize he had cut his nail at work. I was like, okay. But – Like, how long were your
0: nails that you needed to fix it? Well,
1: I know. I think he cut like the middle of his nail, you know? And it was just Uh, to like repair. It wasn't to make, to give himself like really long nails, just to uh, repair the basic nail. Okay. All right. And then what about French manicures? Were they invented in France? No, they weren't. Typical. Jeff Pink is an American makeup artist, and he is the current founder and CEO of Orly. If you know Orly, they make nail polish and other things, Okay. In 1975, he was a Hollywood beauty supplier and a makeup artist. This is a quote from him, quote, The directors would complain about how long it would take to change the nail colors on the actresses to match their wardrobes for different scenes. They asked me to make a color that would go with everything. I thought of using white polish on the tips of the nails. I used it on the tips of the nails, then put a flesh tone polish over it
0: wow so it was
1: it was he was basically tasked with creating a nail look that would match every you know wardrobe change
0: it's true it to this day it kind of is like the standard
1: yeah although i feel like it's not it was it was really really popular in the 90s and it's picked oh, up yeah. popularity now but now people do like different you know you can do like a different color tip you could do
0: yeah different different styles
1: tip. yeah mm-hmm at the time, white nail polish wasn't common, and it was, like, expensive and not easy to get, but the studios knew that they were saving a lot of money by not having to, like, redo manicures, and they also save time, so they went for it, and so Jeff Pink was like, hmm, this is a good business opportunity, so he began selling, like, a pair of flesh-colored nail polish and an opaque white nail polish, and he sold them together, and he called it the Natural Look Nail Kit. Ah, But then he took this kit to Paris and he used it on models for fashion shows. And so then when he returned to the States, he started calling it the French manicure. And that's where it got. That's that's how how it it happens. Okay. The style really took off after Cher and Barbara Streisand both went on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson with French manis. Mm -hmm. Carson even asked Streisand about her nails and the rest was history. Oh my God. It blew up. Another famous nail polish shade is Chanel's Rouge Noir, a.k.a. Vamp. And it is a reddish black color. It's meant to mimic uh, the color of dried blood. Mm-hmm. It was worn by Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. And it remains one of Chanel's best-selling, if not the best-selling product of all time. Wow. Even though we don't like Coco Chanel.
0: but No, we <clears> don't <throat> like Coco
1: Chanel here, but we, we love a good product. Yes. <laughs> um, and then aside from traditional manicures, you may have noticed that there has been an uprise in nail art, like long nails, different shapes, the coffin shape, almond shape, square shape, very intricate designs, jewels, beading, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a Guardian article from 2018 reads, Ready for this jelly, how Kylie Jenner kickstarted the hashtag jelly nails Instagram craze. In 2021, Vanity Fair published an article called How Billie Eilish's nails defined her more is more aesthetic, according to her manicurist. But the truth is that this exact kind of nail art that white celebrities are getting praised for today was historically mocked and looked down upon when worn on black women. Ah, very true. A good example of this is Florence Flo Griffith Joyner, who in 1988 broke the 100 meters world record three times at the U.S. Olympic track and field trials, a record that still stands today, but she had long nails. Her nails seemed to garner more attention than her accomplishments. The Chicago Tribune ran an article called Griffith Joyner Nails 100 Meter Dash Final that pointed out how the runner wore four inch curved tiger striped fingernails in a solid fuchsia manicure the next day. An article from TheGuardian.com called From Ancient Egypt to Cardi B A Cultural History of the Manicure by Funmi Feto says, quote, It was black women who would be at the helm of nail art's modern cultural resurgence. There was don Daniale luna the first woman of color to appear on the cover of us vogue and she did appear with long uh, intricate nail art janet jackson in the futuristic Buster rhymes video for what's it going to be where she had hoop pierced acrylic nails which a couple of years ago kim k was credited with you know basically starting that trend oh you love Lil it kim had her famous dollar bill manicure which is now at the museum of modern art in new york amazing a quote from this article quote these performers helped to create a look bejeweled flamboyant and over the top that felt like black women pushing against pushing back against eurocentric expectations that they should shrink from prominence instead black women were creating their own language around what was beautiful Ah. however the style was often looked down upon and seen as quote ghetto until white celebrities like the kardashian jenner started stealing it even in recent times black women can't catch a break in 2016 nicole hannah jones was is a new york times writer she was talked down to by an esteemed white writer at a media conference he questioned her validity as a journalist and was asked by him whether she would be off to get her nails done so think about that when you see all these white celebrities (sighs) getting praised for their you know taking fashion risks or whatever with their Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. ornate nails Uh, I'm going to end with a quote from an Bustle article called Acrylic Nails Will Always Be More Than Just a Manicure for Black Women by Teo Barrow. Quote, Acrylics are a way to resist stale stereotypes about appearance and presentation that are both baseless and disproportionately harmful to black women. Aside from the fact that these nails are a part of our history, I like to think that in their own stylish way, acrylics help to push back against the respectability politics that have policed black women's appearance for far too long. When I get acrylics done now, I wear them with a sense of pride and a feeling of cheeky defiance. I still get the same looks from people, though, and it's clear that while they're admiring my nails, they're still likely silently wondering what I do for a living or how I can get anything done with them on. But the difference is now that pride I wear is not just in my appearance, but in knowing that I carry with me a piece of our culture that is also a badge of honor. Damn. End quote. I love it. Yes, I do feel like that is a common... Like anytime anyone has really long nails, it's like, how do you do wipe anything? Your butt? It how does. do you do anything? Yeah, it's like, I've actually seen
0: business? TikToks of uh, people, women mostly with long nails, um, mm-hmm. teaching you how to do things with long nails. Yeah, like tutorials, like okay, not this, this, not this, this, and they kind of mm-hmm. show you how to do because like tons of people are like, I really want long nails, but how do you? Okay. And it's like, um, yeah,
1: but yeah, then I've, of course it gets praised you know when it's seen as like a fashion thing oh of course of course that it's like these trends have been around since the 90s
0: mm-hmm. i really like that um what was it uh little kim's nails mm-hmm. are at the museum of modern art is that what you
1: said yeah the Amazing. money money nails maybe we'll post that on our instagram oh uh,
0: we should go and see them
1: to That'd new york cool. yeah yeah <laughs> meet you in new york that's nails for you. Oh, I I get... it makes me want to pay my nails. I'm going to pay my nails tomorrow. Um Whether I really want to like get my nails.
0: I like it and I want to get my nails done. I love getting my nails done, but it's just one of those things like I don't want to spend the money on it all the time. It's expensive.
1: Um, In Chicago it's expensive. In Miami it really it's much is. cheaper. In New York it's much cheaper. Although yeah. that's another issue, you know, cheap labor. Yeah. is not always ethical. Yes, Most true. Sometimes it isn't. But Anyway,
0: maybe I'll just get that kit where you put the gel on and then you put it under the light. Yeah, that's what Alex uses. I know, and uh, I have it in my wish list of things to buy when I feel cheeky. There you so, go. Maybe next time you see me, I'll have a uh, cheeky little homemade gel nails. I look like forward to so, it. Yes, my topic comes from the Tuesday, September fourteenth, USA Today puzzle by Rebecca Goldstein and Brooke Husick, forty three across sing like mason ramsey yell yodel uh, oh yes Yodely. i
1: remember him that so a vine. About,
0: it's not a vine okay, okay so we're gonna get into that right now so i'm talking about yodeling today yippee Kaye. Uh, but before we get into the madness that is yodeling, let's get into the yodeling mood and we'll listen to Mr. Mason Ramsey's viral yodeling video, which is referenced in that clue. So if you don't understand what sing like Mason Ramsey means, you're about to find out.
1: Lord, That kid. Funny I you like should ask. He was like went on all these talk shows and stuff. Yes. So, okay. We just listened
0: to Mr. Mason Ramsey. If you're unfamiliar with what the heck I just played, um, first of all, Mason Ramsey is an American singer. He went viral in March of 2018 for the song you just heard. Uh he was yodeling Hank Williams Love Sick Blues in a Walmart, some random Walmart. He's also um, like 12. At the time, he was like really young. Um, however, many okay, he is now signed to like a record label. He has a, an album and a song out, and he is featured on multiple songs. Like, I feel like he was recently featured on like a like like a little Nas X type song. I don't <laughs> think it was Little Nas X, but
1: something like that. You know, um, he's currently fifteen years old. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he was a baby, and I bet you his mom was like. No, you need to sing in front of people. And he's like, Mom, I don't want to sing at Walmart. She's like, no, you have to. And now she's like, see? I
0: yeah. told you someone I would... <laughs> told
1: you. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, exactly. So
0: that's yodeling. And that's who they're talking about in this clue. Um, and now that we're in the mood, let's talk about what the heck yodeling actually is. Okay? Let's. Um, we're talking about, like, the literal, like, how does it work with your body? That's what we're going to talk about right now. So, you may or may not know, but the human voice has two uh, distinct vocal registers. They're called the head voice and the chest voice. Um, Most people can sing uh, tones within each of these registers respectively, you know? Like, you can sing in your chest voice, and then you can pause, and then you can sing in your head voice. Right. Um, And then there's falsetto, which is uh, an unsupported register, and it forces the voice higher without any support from your head or chest voice. So there's Two, like, technically registers, like head and chest, and then falsetto Mm -hmm. is, like, the one above it. Okay. So when ranges like these overlap, it's called passaggio, which is a challenge for untrained singers, though experienced singers can easily control switching between registers. So yodeling is a version of passaggio in which a singer might change registers several times in only a few seconds at a high volume. Essentially, yodeling is a form of singing that involves repeated and rapid changes of pitch between the low-pitched chest register or chest voice and the high pitch head register or falsetto. Uh, and the repeated alternation uh, produces like a very unique sound, like we just heard. For example, the famous yodelay oo The E is sung in the head, and everything else is sung in the chest. Why well, do like we ee, can ooh. yodel? <laughs> We absolutely can yodel. So let's go to the Alps and like yodel in the mountains. What do you think? Let's do it. Um, let's see here. Oh, okay. And so then in terms of notes that you would sing in the chest versus the head, ah, o, oh, and ooh are for chest voice and a and e are for falsetto or head voice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So consonants are used as levers to launch you from low to high. Uh, And it kind of gives you this unique ear-penetrating and distance-spanning power, which is very important. Distance is important.
1: Okay. Noted.
0: Noted. When you think about yodeling, you probably think about Switzerland, you think about women in dirndls, men in lederhosen, the alp horn, that big, long, re horn thing that they have, right?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, You aren't wrong. Yodeling is hugely uh, popular in folk tradition not only in Switzerland but in the alpine region at large right
1: mm-hmm.
0: that being said yodeling did not originate in europe okay did not uh there's this guy his name is bart plantenga he's the author of yodele eu the secret history of yodeling around the world he is in multiple articles that i read he is described as the yodel expert
1: take okay. that and multiple do with that what you will He's copyrighted that. Exactly.
0: So Plantenga says that yodeling most likely originated in Africa. Quote, at the beginning of mankind, when man decided he could do different things with his voice. More practically, it probably began 10,000 years uh, or so ago when animals first were domesticated as a way to keep cattle together. It probably also had a lot to do with people amusing themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. People still like to have fun.
0: They have fun, even when they're raising cattle 10,000 years ago. Uh Plantinga goes on to say that the history of yodeling is complicated and not easily pinned down. So there's no way to know for sure like 100% that this technique originated in Africa. Uh, he said, quote, it probably arose in numerous places around the world independently, but most likely originated in Africa sort of at the dawn of time and spread from there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. makes sense. Checks out to me. Checks out. Uh I focused most of my research on alpine yodeling But I will briefly mention later on some other places that use various forms of yodeling. Uh, So bear with me here. Okay, Okay. let's get into Alpine yodeling. Yodeling may be a well-known Alpine folk tradition performed for pleasure and entertainment now. But yodeling evolved out of a rural practicality within the Alpine region. And when I say like the Alpine region, the Alps, I'm talking mainly about Switzerland, Germany, Austria, and a little bit of France. Mm -hmm. Um, yodeling was used to communicate from village to village and mountain to mountain specifically for communities separated by deep alpine valleys and rugged terrain alpine yodelers i'm gonna like mispronounce yodel like multiple times i've said yodel so much today that it doesn't even sound like a word anymore it sounds like i'm yodeling i'm like yodely yodely, yodela (laughs) yodela like literally okay if it happens it happens it happens alpine yodelers Essentially, yodel from hill to hill. Literally, uh, certain sounds and notes actually meant words. So, in a way, yodeling began as a way to like kind of have this melodic language of the mountains. Um, imagine like being in like a valley and just hearing two people yodeling back and forth from different sides of the valley. Like, how beautiful would that be, right? Yeah. Um, and although you couldn't see like your fellow cowherd across the ravine, you could hear him. And you would yodel back. It was like bird calls.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, the earliest written record of alpine yodeling is from 1545, where it was described as "quote the call of a cowherd from Appenzell," and Appenzell is like a state in Switzerland. Uh, which brings me to cowherds. Cowherds not only used yodeling to like communicate across the way with cowherd from the other village; they also use yodeling to communicate with their f- herds of animals and their flocks of sheep, their herds of cows um according to plantenga cow herds and the cows quote became close the cows would line up when the herders wanted to take them up or down the mountain depending on which of the yodels they used so like you would yodel at your cows and they'd be like oh steve wants us to go up the mountain and then like no 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 no. steve wants us to go down the mountain the cows knew that yes by yodeling wow
1: you give them more
0: credit we really should Uh, And of course, yodeling evolved over the years from something utilitarian to an art form, a choral tradition, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the 1800s, yodeling became popular in Europe as a form of entertainment, something you would go to a theater or like a music hall to see. The popular yodeling at the time was Tyrolean, which comes from Austria. Uh, yodeling and Tirol fulfilled an important function of national identity during the Napoleonic Wars. Yodeling served as a symbol of rebellion against French and Bavarian troops. Very cool. Uh, and during the 1900s, the governments of both Austria and Switzerland used folk music with yodeling as a way to strengthen national pride. Okay, so what does this mean in the 1900s? Well, in Austria. Specifically, during the Nazi regime, singing and yodeling were considered patriotic and a patriotic duty, and the Nazi regime supported yodeling practices. They wanted
1: the Austrians to yodel. They were like, please continue yodeling. Hmm. Well, something doesn't check out from Sound of Music, then. Not check. Because they put on that whole puppet show and yodeled.
0: (laughs) I actually read in an article, there's somebody who's like a passionate yodeler. He's like born and raised in Austria and like yodeled his whole life, and he like talks shit about um uh, julie andrew's,
1: yodeling. andrews yodeling. yeah they're like I, I that's not we, yodeling i think we talked about that in our um right you know we have a sound music podcast <laughs> and i think we did talk about how you yeah, know she did her best she's not a yodeler she's she not this poor woman
0: i know you heard that kid that is something you have to like really train for yeah anyway so yeah the nazis loved the Austri- the austrian yodeling okay but in switzerland it was a different story uh Switzerland began to formalize during the 1900s uh, what it meant to be a proper yodeler. Uh, they published a yodeling school manual. I'm not even going to tell you what this thing is called because it's in German and I, I just couldn't even. sir. Sure. Uh, and this was published in 1943. And the goal of this manual was to promote the proper Swiss yodeling way and to define its distinct form from that of the yodeling of neighboring Nazi countries. <laughs> uh, Austria. Mm -hmm. Uh, basically the ulterior motive of like setting down like a formalized version of Swiss yodeling was to, you know, affirm Swiss Swiss national identity and to kind of distance themselves from the Nazi regime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Along the same vein of maintaining the Swiss way of yodeling, some passionate Swiss yodelers formed the Swiss Yodeling Foundation. Sorry, the Swiss Yodeling Association, uh, in order to promote Swiss yodeling and to curb Tyrolean yodeling influence. Like I said, Tyrolean yodeling was what was the most popular. Uh, the Swiss were not happy with that, uh, and they wanted to preserve their own folk music and customs. And with the Swiss Yodeling Association, they were able to do that. Um, from what I could understand, so I tried to go on the Swiss yodeling association website and everything was, I could not read it, even with it the translation. It was Swiss to you? It was Swiss to me. I didn't get a thing. Uh, so, but from a different article, from what I can understand is that, um, to be defined as a proper yodeler by the association is apparently a very rigorous and competitive process. There are tons and tons of rules. And up until the nineties, there was an ultra conservative group. Like women weren't even allowed to be in the group.
1: Wow. They
0: are now thankfully. Um, but they used to not be able to. Um, and they, they said like this association is like Olympic level of rigor to get in. Mm-hmm. Like, Okay, fine. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, this is a, Oh, this is a quote that I wanted to, I'm going to read this quote about the the yodeling. Um, Around 1900, the Swiss government saw that the old style of yodeling was dying out, the kind of melancholic yodel, and the German faster yodel, this is the kind from Austria, was taking over. So they imposed all of these laws that would try to preserve the Swiss tradition. They have all sorts of rules and regulations, and I liken it to diving in the Olympics. They look for uh, certain kinds of details to make a particular kind of dive a 10. And it's the same in the officially sanctioned yodel competitions.
1: Okay, so it's serious. Very serious. I, maybe we couldn't be yodelers. We're more like, you know, club yodelers. Just for yeah, fun. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, Switzerland is also known for their folk music festivals. Uh, these are devoted to yodeling and are organized to celebrate indigenous folk traditions and to unify both the urban and rural populaces. Uh, And these festivals are, are also one of the main reasons why yodeling has survived to this day, because this is one of those things that it was, like I said before, it was a rural, like in the mountains, like people communicating from village to village. It's kind of trickled into the cities and it became like an art form. But as things started modernizing and different types of music were taking over, people were like, who needs this weird funky indigenous folk music shit? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you got your Swiss Yodeling Association that like, We do, we need them, and let's set up all these festivals and it kind of like now Yodeling is here to stay. So thank God for those passionate Swiss Yodelers. More about Yodeling. Originally Yodeling was all about improvisation. So short vowels were sung in the chest, and long notes were sung in falsetto. Uh, In the 1800s, yodeling morphed into songs that included two, three, and four-part harmonies with an accompanying accordion. And this accordion accordion has a very special name. I'm not even going to say it. I literally cannot even fathom how this word is pronounced. Um, A specific type of yodeling is called natural yodeling. This is interesting. It begins with a solo yodeler singing in slow in a slow sequence of notes with other yodelers humming along and providing spontaneous melody. Uh, This is the most primitive form of yodeling, uh, and it's sung without words. And this is what would have been standard up in the mountains all those generations ago. Mm -hmm. Natural yodeling is still performed today, and you can see it at various folk festivals. At festivals, a natural yodeling performance might be accompanied by bell shaking with small alpine bells. Um, And apparently what makes natural yodeling so special is that there's this funny little thing called the 11th tone, which is also called the natural tone or the Alphorn fa. So this is a very unique tone. It's in C major, uh, but please note it is neither heard as F or F sharp, but it lands somewhere in between the two. And for many people, this fa can be hard to get used to because since the 18th century, when tuning was introduced, essentially uh, the sound disappeared from usual tone series. So it's like not something people hear, but it kind of stuck around in this like indigenous like folk culture in Mm -hmm. the Alpine region. I was like, cool, the fact that there's this third note that people don't really know about. Anyway, I liked that. A secret note. A secret note. Eventually, yodeling evolved into song. Uh, A yodeling song has two, three, or four-part harmonies It's accompanied by that accordion that I mentioned earlier. Uh, This genre is what's favored at most festivals um, and by yodeling associations. Uh, I think probably because it's a little bit more marketable than just making noises. Mm -hmm. Um, And these songs are usually about mountains, nature, home, and also issues such as freedom and independence. Uh, Each country has a unique sound when it comes to their yodels. According to Bart Plantenga, Austrian yodeling is sweeter and more popular oriented uh, with the lyrics that they use. French yodeling is more pleasant to the ear for Americans. It's more sing-songy, more melodic. There's no gloomy like, doomy type vibe. Mm -hmm. German yodeling is that wacky beer garden kind of yodeling for the (laughs) frivolity of beer drinking.
1: I feel like that's kind of a Read in German <laughs> yodeling.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, and then Swiss yodeling is uh, more melancholic, very slow, bluesy. It has like a very bluesy feel to it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So let's move into like yodeling around the world. In Scandinavia, there is an oral song tradition called kolning, or it's also called lolling in Norwegian. Um, it's a signal song, a sort of shout used to make yourself known at long distances, uh, especially in the mountains. Uh, it was used not only as a cry of contact, so if you and I were like a couple miles away and I like lollinged at you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was also like each person has an individual identifying sound that you would call out so that Ooh. you would know who it was by the sound that I made. We should make those for ourselves. I think we really should. Um, imagine being like on a lake or something, like around tons of people, and we're just like calling back and forth. Yodeling, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, in Persian classical music, singers frequently use terir, uh, which is a yodeling technique that oscillates on various chords. Uh, it's basically used as an ornament or a trill uh, at the end of long syllables. So you kind of just like add this like little trill, which I think. You- I don't know anything about this type of singing, but it made me <laughs> think of like when people have falsetto at the end of singing like a yeah, a long note, you know, that kind of like trill that their voice does. Um, the shona people of Zimbabwe sometimes yodel when they play an instrument called the Mibira, which is like a wooden board with metal tines that you kind of play with your fingers. Uh, and then many Hawaiian songs feature falsetto, and this is called Kaleo. Kieki, I looked up how to pronounce it and I think I totally fucked up. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, the singer of this falsetto, usually a male, emphasizes the break between registers and sometimes the singer, singer exaggerates the break through repetition, such as a yodel. So you might hear yodeling in Hawaii, which is kind of cool. Um and of course we have yodeling in America, like Mr. Mason Ramsey. Yodeling mm-hmm. was huge in America. I mean, I think there's people that still like Yodel and like take it very seriously, but know, Mason. Yeah. For a time, it was like, it was the thing to be doing, was yodeling. Um, And there are different stories about how yodeling came to America. Some say it was German immigrants. Others say there was Austrian traveling minstrel groups. Kind of like, you know, how, like, the Sound of Music family traveled around the U.S. for a while. Mm -hmm. That was really normal for, like, people from Europe to come over and, like, travel and sing and shit. So, but, Bart Plantenga, resident yodel expert, posits that yodeling came to America via slavery. Because remember, yodeling originated in Africa. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, and there are places in Africa and tribes in Africa and like cultures in Africa that still have yodeling kind of baked into various culture and art forms. So, this is from Plantenga quote: Freed enslaved people taught cowboys how to yodel. Jimmy Rob. Rogers was probably the most famous yodeler in America. He wrote probably about 100 songs and about three quarters of them have yodeling in them. He learned yodeling from African-American railroad workers when he was working as a water boy, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Plantinga goes on to say that you can literally find yodeling everywhere. It's base—it's just a vocal technique and every culture uses their vocal cords in different ways. But I, You know what I mean? Um, you can find yodeling in Bollywood, you know, Really weird underground music houses in Brooklyn, uh, mountainous regions in China, the Netherlands, and even in contemporary punk rock. Uh, I want to end with a fun fact that I read and I was like, I literally have to include this. I'm uh, going to be talking about uh, Mr. Johnny Weismuller. He was an actor active during the 1930s. He was born in Austria in 1904. His family moved to the U.S. in 1905, and they settled in Pennsylvania. Weismüller grew up learning yodeling from his family, and at many gatherings, they had surrounded. He was surrounded by his Austrian family members, so they would all be yodeling all the time. You may not know the name Johnny Weismuller, but he changed the course of cinema history thanks to his Austrian origins. Johnny Weismuller is most famous for playing Tarzan in Edgar Rice Burroughs' *Tarzan the Ape Man* in 1932 and the five sequels produced by MGM. He also played Tarzan in another six Tarzan films produced by RKO. When he got the role of Tarzan, the character needed to have a wild call. Well, Johnny knew one. It was a yodel. Yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history. Now that you mentioned it, I didn't realize there were that many Tarzan movies. Jeez. Right. Well, I'm going to send you a Tarzan
1: yodel right now. <laughs> what was the obsession? With a human raised by monkeys, that they made so many damn movies about it. I know, and like the human raised by wolves, that was a whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, what you just heard was Johnny
0: Johnny Weissmuller's Tarzan call, his Austrian Yodel. Uh that's a that's a fun fact for everybody today. And that's Yodeling.
1: That's Yodeling, y'all. That's
0: Yodeling, yodeling Yodeling.
1: <laughs> that sounded pretty good. Don't let the expert know. <laughs> Right,
0: Bart Plantenga is listening. He's like, "You're ruining the art form." Actually, he seems like a pretty nice person. <laughs> anyway, what do you? Where do you get that from?
1: You think he's nice? I, I guess, guess just the, the seems way he's to be doing a lot of interviews.
0: He's doing a lot of interviews. He's talking. He seems to be very forthright about like this is not a white person's thing, you know. So I like yeah. I like that about him. All right, yeah, we'll take that. It's a small small things we just take as wins these days. <laughs> um
1: well that's yodeling it is it is thank you for that you're welcome we will work on our own yodeling calls and if you need another way to contact us you can find us on twitter at the good eve girls
0: or instagram at the good evening girls
1: or tiktok at the good eve girls and uh we'll yodel you later (laughs) (laughs) all right y'all keep curious we'll see you next week Bye. Bye.